I'm so pleased and excited to uh, say that Anniversary Sunday is less than a month away. Yeah. Uh, Less than 30 days, we will celebrate 10 years as a church. And if you are newer with us, or maybe even today is your first time, we make a big deal on Anniversary Sunday of what God has been doing in our midst. And there's a few resources you got when you came in today to make that a little bit easier to invite. And so we wanna just continue to influence, continue to push you towards an invitation culture, both certainly on Anniversary Sunday, but any Sunday. There's a little postcard that was in your program packet when you came in today. Take advantage of that. You can give it to somebody in the office. You can take it with you. Uh, we've got one taped to our refrigerator because we've got a thousand people in our house every week and, and they uh, get to see that. But you might even decide you wanna mail it out to somebody. So uh, wonderful, Michelle, wherever you are, you're an angel. She formatted this in a postcard format. So you can just fill it out and drop it in the mail to somebody too if you'd like. And uh, if you do that this morning and drop it either at guest services or in the offering bucket, we'll even put the stamp on it and mail it for you. So take advantage of that. There are also small little business card size invites that are bundled up in groups of five at guest services. You can grab a bundle of those to slide in your wallet and give those away this week. But whatever you do, be sure that you're with us on Sunday, November 3rd. It is going to be a day where certainly we celebrate uh, disciples and get to party a little bit together, but way beyond that and, and far overreaching to the celebration of 10 years of this church, we gather on that day to celebrate the greatness of God and the way in which he's provided for his people over all these years, the way in which he has proven to be our rock and our redeemer over these 10 years. So we will consistently on that day point back to who God is and use that as a stopping point to just pause on one little mountaintop and reflect back on who God is. So I hope that you will be with us that day. That day reminds me in so many ways of the people of God in the Old Testament who on a number of different occasions throughout the year would pack up their children, would would pack up their animals and would make this trek no matter how far it was. For some, it was simply hours. For others, it was days to get back to Jerusalem and to celebrate a festival unto God. And for many, they would have saved up their offerings and their tithes for months and months and months and converted those grain offerings into cash and brought them to Jerusalem with this anticipation eagerly to meet with God along with his people. I can't help but think uh, that their trip to church in the morning must have looked a little bit like our trip to church. Any of you have a fight with your significant other on the way to church? Any of you shout at the kids, hurry up, we're gonna be late? Anybody argue with the Starbucks drive-through this morning because they got your coffee wrong? Uh, Probably it's happened to all of us at some point. And I can't help but think about the people of God making that long trek to Jerusalem as if God knew, hey, for this group, it's gonna take a week or so to prepare them to meet with me to rid themselves of all the angst and all the anxiety and all the other stuff that would stand in the way of them experiencing who I am. And so this journey to Jerusalem for many took days and weeks. And in fact, God even gave them passages of scripture that they referred to as the songs of ascent. 
I believe it was Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 that served as a songbook of sorts for them as they would climb this mountain back to Jerusalem and celebrate all that God had done. Celebrate who God was. Not unlike God's ancient people in that day who made that trek back to Jerusalem for that significant celebration, we too stand at the brink of our own significant celebration. And so it feels fitting that in the weeks prior to that, that we look back at what it is to become a people who bring. And I simply cannot become a bringer in any regular or joyful way if I'm thinking primarily of myself. If I'm getting in the car to go to church or to go to life group, or if I'm walking in the doors and I'm already grinding about, there better be my favorite donut today, or I I hope they got the coffee right for once, and oh, they're out of my creamer again. Those things sound petty, but I've heard you say every single one of them. Every one of them. And we we just cannot become the kinds of people who arrive in a room with a bunch of other people surrounding the presence of God and bring to him our best offering if all that's on our mind is ourself and what we want and how we feel we should be taken care of. So let us in these weeks, and, and today specifically, reacclimate ourselves around God's plan for us to be a people who bring. If you've got a Bible, open to John chapter 14. We're gonna land there eventually. It will take us a, a bit of a circuitous route to get there, but we will get to John chapter 14 in just a few moments' time. So turn there with me now if you can, if you have a smartphone, I just encourage you to use the app in your app store called Uversion. Uh, it's blinding light is uh, illuminating your faces right now. Boy, oh boy, that screen is bright now, isn't it? Uh, Uversion, and if you just get into Uversion, tap that little bottom pancake menu, that hamburger menu, if you will, it says more, and go to events, click Disciples Church. There's a whole bunch of resources in there, and, and even just simply a guide through today's message that will help you and you can tap up in the upper right-hand corner and save that so you've got it throughout the week. There's a whole bunch of scripture in there, much of which I may not even get to today. So uh, you'll wanna have that so you can dive into this stuff a bit more deeply. Pray with me, if you would, in these moments as we continue in God's presence. Father, these uh, moments most certainly belong to you. They are in you. They are to you, through you, and for you, and because of you. So work in our midst, we ask God that our wills would willingly be shaped to match your way. That who we are would begin as if second nature to reflect who you are, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. John chapter 14, I'm gonna begin in verse 23. Jesus is speaking and He replies, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me 
will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. And if you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who's greater than I am. And I've told you these things before. And they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He doesn't have power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. Come, let's be going. The country watched in utter shock this past week as events unfolded around a murder trial and a sentencing hearing not unlike many sentencing hearings that probably go on every day in the courts around the world. But this one was really, really different. And for those of you who have followed it, you recognize the difference of it. For those who've been under a rock this week or on a media fast, for a lot of reasons, you're probably enjoying life as a result. Amber Geiger, a Dallas police officer, had finished up a shift just about a year ago and came back after what I assume was a long, long night at work, exhausted and tired in full uniform. She arrived at her apartment complex. And as she arrived at her apartment complex, she entered what she thought was her apartment, but in fact, it wasn't. I believe she was one full floor above hers. She entered what she thought was her apartment and inside what she thought was her apartment was a gentleman sitting, and as I understand it, on the couch eating ice cream. Startled, shocked. Certainly I can't climb inside her head and know all her thoughts or her emotions in that moment, but she was startled. She drew her service revolver and uh, at some exchange of words happened, she shot and killed this man, only later to find out she wasn't in her apartment at all. She actually had trespassed into his apartment unwittingly, shot and killed him with her police revolver. She stood trial. She was uh, found guilty, um, not just of manslaughter or uh, of a lesser charge, but found guilty of murder. And at her sentencing hearing outside the courtroom was some of the usual suspects you would expect in a police-involved shooting protesters on both sides of the issue shouted slurs at one another and held signs and you felt the violence beginning to climb. And I remember thinking as the sentencing was coming, oh sweet Lord, don't let this turn into another set of riots. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the murder and you could almost feel the 
internal rage grow among members of the community that felt that that sentence was too short and members of that same community who felt that sentence was too long. There was no pleasing anybody. It was a tragedy that happened. Horrible, horrible situation. And then something happened. A young man who had been shot and killed, Botham Jean, his younger brother, 18-year-old Brant, took the stand at the sentencing hearing to do what is fairly commonplace as a family member of a slain victim to speak at the, uh, the killer. Brant goes up and takes a stand and sits down and uh, in the course of just about a four, four and a half minute speech, it's all over YouTube, every news outlet's got it. You can watch it for yourself. I won't recount it all for you. But he says uh, a number of things to young Amber who was ready to go off to prison. He says, I forgive you. He says, I want what's best for you. He said to her, I don't even want you to go to jail. And then he said, I hope you find God. And then he asked this amazing thing of the judge. He looks to the judge and he says, can I give her a hug? He says, please. And then he repeats, please again. And the judge sort of dumbfounded looks at him and goes like, you're supposed to sit up here and say that you hate this person and that you wish they were getting life and that you wish they would get the lethal injection. I mean, this is Texas after all. You kill somebody in Texas, you do hard time. But he doesn't. He says, may I hug her? And the judge, befuddled, finally agrees and says yes. And he stands down and he gets off the stand and she runs to him and embraces him. And they hug for what felt like an eternity. She weeps. And then the judge in the closing moments comes down and the judge hugs her. What is happening? And then hands her a Bible from the courtroom. Sends her on her way. but we're on Facebook and we're screaming and yelling about walls and about guns and about everything else we can, about this person on that side of the aisle and that person on that side of the aisle and everybody's an idiot. And in this potent moment that's charged with all kinds of violence and all kinds of vitriol and anger, a young 18-year-old man steps into the moment and brings peace. He just brings peace. I don't know if an 18-year-old has the capacity to forgive her on the spot, but he speaks peace into the moment. He doesn't speak anger or rage. He spoke peace into that very minute. Protesters out front of the courtroom, many who were feared were ready to take to the streets with violence were all but silenced. Nobody said a word about them after that. Peace has a way of overwhelming any atmosphere. Peace has a way of neutralizing vitriol. Truth of the matter is most of the time, he or she who gets control of a room, any room, does so through coercion or force. But Jesus had this way of grabbing control of the attention of the people in any given room, never through coercion, never through force, but through peace. 
In fact, Jesus doesn't actually talk about peace all that much in the New Testament for my liking. He talks way more about money than he does peace. He talks way more about the Pharisees than he does peace. But reason being, I think he just brought peace to every situation. Jesus says in his famous Sermon on the Mount, God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called the children of God. What will define you and I as the children of God is our ability to bring peace to a situation, to be love. The gospel writer Mark recalls Jesus' teaching on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And this one we have for the screen. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. And then Jesus preparing to send out 72 disciple missionaries who would be charged to go change the world. Luke recalls the conversation this way. Jesus is preparing in Luke chapter 10 to send them out. He's preparing them for what they're gonna come in contact with. And Jesus says, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. And if those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Go with me now to the gospel of John and look back again at chapter 14 where we began these moments together. Let's focus in on verses 23 through 26 as we set the stage for what it looks like to be a people who bring peace. And I would just challenge you to do a little bit of inventory on your own life. And if you're on social media, go back through your social media from the last 10 days and ask yourself the question, was I bringing peace to my world? Or was I bringing vitriol and division and hatred and rant? I mean, we, we love to engage in that. I, I laughed so hard this week when Adam Adams, one of our own, posted up there this hateful post on Facebook towards cauliflower. <laughs> and a whole bunch of you just start blasting him with cauliflower recipes. And you're like my favorite people in the whole world now. And I'm texting, Jen and I are making soup. Well, Jen's making soup. I was watching. Uh, making soup at my house. And I'm just texting him photos of cauliflower on my counter. And it's like... There's this sense in us culturally that we are so overdone with hate and vitriol on Facebook that when somebody finally says they hate something that nobody cares about, we all just black, jump on. <laughs> Verse 23, Jesus replies, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and, and will come and make our home with them. Anyone who doesn't love me just won't obey me. And remember, my words aren't my own. What I'm, what I'm telling you is from the Father. I'm telling you things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you 
everything I have told you. The, this setup between Jesus and the Father, Jesus is saying, I want you to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that mirrors the Savior's relationship with his Father. You've been given this beautiful demonstrative picture of what it is to live in perfect unity with the triune God. Jesus says, mirror your life with the Holy Spirit as my life with the Father. Because out of love, Jesus says, I do what the Father asks me. So I want for you, when I send my advocate to in love with the Holy Spirit, do just what he impresses upon you. That's how life should look for you. Jesus must be feeling the whirlwind coming by John 14. In fact, the closing verses of this very text at the end of the text, skipping over these middle verses in verse 30 and 31, he says, I don't have much more time to talk to you guys because the ruler of this world is approaching. He has no power over me, but I'll go ahead and do what the Father requires of me. So the world will know what? That I love the Father. So the invitation here, guys, if we are to become a people who bring, and specifically a people who bring peace, we will have to develop a love relationship with the voice of the Holy Spirit. I gotta be honest with you. Most of the time when the Holy Spirit speaks into my life, it's gonna slow me down. It's gonna change my trajectory. And it's gonna make me have to do something that will humble me. Those are not things I particularly love. I like things to go faster, right? I like to get my way. And I don't like being humbled. In fact, I like to be the proud keeper of all information in the world. Anybody else feel the same? Okay, good. And me and John. Thank you, John. <laughs> Brother, there's one more. You and me. The rest of you all are something that the Greek would translate to liars. Right? Jesus is in for a pretty bumpy 12 hours. And he finishes this chapter with this revelation that his true love for the Father will be demonstrated in peaceful submission. Guys, love and mutual submission are the only way to peace. You've got an ex? A lot of us do. You want peace with that ex? Find some ways where you can be loving and mutually submissive to the evil ex. You got a horrible boss? Find ways to be loving to your boss and to be mutually submissive with your boss, to show submission. You've got a spouse right now. Maybe, they're, maybe it's not an ex. Maybe it's a spouse that some days you wish was an ex. Find a way to be loving and mutually submissive to that spouse. The text is pretty clear that love and mutual submission will be the, the only way to peace. As we talk about becoming a people who bring and, and ultimately becoming a people who bring 
you have everything to gain by becoming a people who bring. We have everything to gain by that. There are rooms in the mansion of God's presence that will only be opened to the bringers. And that when you bring peace, when you bring love and joy and goodness, there are rooms in the mansion that open up to whole other wings of God's goodness and presence that will otherwise be locked off and closed to you and I until we learn how to be a people who bring peace who bring love, who bring joy. There's another characteristic to you and I becoming the kinds of people who bring peace. Go go back to these middle verses in this text. Verses 27 through 29. Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. He goes on in this to say some powerful things. Again, of course, we see that peace is tied to love. He says to them, if you love me, obey me. If you obey me, it will be a sign of your love. And if you love me, you will naturally obey me. I've told you these things before so that when they do happen, you will believe. But he says these powerful words in verse 27. I am leaving you with a gift. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. See, you don't have to look too far in your own world or in this time in which we live to find an enclave in our world that has zero relationship with peace. That it would seem that those people over there or those people over there only know how to interact with violence and coercion and hate and vitriol, anger, rage, And the trouble here is, disciples, I'm seeing it every week in me. And I'm seeing it every week in you. That we have a long way to go. And one of your leaders, Stu, has a long way to go in becoming a people who bring peace. Just last week, Frustrated and angry, I came home from a terrible day at my day job. And I was frustrated and I was carrying that with me and I was preparing dinner in the kitchen and we actually had company over, which was really embarrassing. And our company even said at one point, wow, you're really like moving around with like kind of a... And I found that to be kind of interesting. And I was sipping on a glass of something and I set it down and wow, geez kind of smashing stuff around a little bit. I didn't really think anything of it. I was in a rush. I was making dinner and I just thought, yeah, well, you just sit there and watch me cook for you. Um, you know, and, and I just kept on going with my thing. I, I didn't really feel it bubbling up. Have you ever had that happen where, you know, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're anxious, you're worried, you're sad, whatever it is that is your go-to emotion that is in opposition to the peace of Christ. And I just continued. 
I've kind of filed it away. Wasn't really aware that my frustrations were actually boiling over at home. Those frustrations from work boiling over at home. Has it ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah. Later after dinner, while arguing with my delightful children about helping me in the kitchen clean up dinner, I was putting dishes in the dishwasher and I was frustrated and we're bickering back and forth and trying to get them to help me. And I was perfect. They were the ones in the wrong. Uh, right, you all giggle. And I put a bowl in the dishwasher and the bowl just shattered in the dishwasher. And it took a glass bowl breaking in a dishwasher for God to kind of get a hold of me what the spirit had probably been whispering for hours and hours and hours like, Stu, you're angry. This is not my peace that's controlling your life right now. You're frustrated and angry because you're whatever. Cleaning up, uh, have you ever cleaned up shattered glass in a dishwasher, by the way? Um, terrible experience, by the way. You've done this? Okay, and it, it's like something about a dishwasher. It's like when something breaks in a dishwasher, it's like some sort of molecular thing happens and it shatters into a million pieces. Whereas if, you know, you break it on the counter, it's like, you know, clunk, clunk, three pieces. no. Not my, Holy Spirit was like, you know, I want to give you a few minutes with yourself. I'm just going to go ahead and break it real good. It wasn't fun at all. And I'm in there with the shop back and I'm cleaning up and God is just whispering to me, this is not my peaceful way. Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift. It's peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. You see, the, the people of Christ who are led by the Spirit bring peace. The people of Christ led by the Spirit bring peace. And this is not just meant as some statement by Jesus of waving his finger at the world. It's not even intended to be interpreted by us as some one-up situation we have. Like, see, Jesus likes us best, so we have peace and you all have nothing. No, it's meant to be a charge to us as the people of God that when we enter a room, we enter the room armed with peace. And if we don't bring peace to a room, there will not be peace. This is a gift Jesus gives us and it is not accessible to the world. They don't have peace available to them. So when you and I bring to a situation rage or anxiety or worry or anger or frustration or any of the other things that stand in direct opposition to peace, we are throwing our lots in the boat of the world and saying, I don't wanna bring Jesus here. I'm gonna partner up with the powers of this world right now. And a watching world or your kids who are watching you do the dishes are going, that doesn't seem like Jesus. See, the people of Christ, when we are led by the Holy Spirit, will bring peace to a situation. We will sit in a courtroom where we probably think justice hasn't been served and we will say, I forgive you and this is not what I want for you. 
We'll step into our boss's office who has phoned in their work and expected us to cover for them. And we will say to them, how can I make your day better? What can I do to serve you? We'll come home to a spouse who's on a tirade and in a rant and we'll say to them, how can I just bring peace to you right now? People of Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, bring peace. Eugene Peterson rewrote the scriptures or just reinterpreted them in his translation called The Message and the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians 5. In fact, if you've gotten an email from me here recently, you've seen this as my signature line over the last several months. He writes, but what happens when we live God's way? God brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things and a a sense of compassion in our heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. Another translation says that somewhere along these lines, you may be more familiar with it, that when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, they overflow with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And in these things, there is no conflict with the law. This is what happens when the spirit gains control of our lives. You see, there's no replacement for you as a people who bring peace. Jesus isn't here any longer. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but he ascended to heaven and he said, I'm sending you my advocate, the Holy Spirit, and he will help you mirror my relationship with the father with this world. But if we're caught up in the hate and the vitriol of politics, we can't be a people of peace. If we're overcome with frustration and rage after a bad day at work, we cannot bring peace. If we're settling for the use of coercion and manipulation in our relationships or our business to get what it is we want, we will have traded the gift of the peace of Christ and left ourselves to the will and way of this world. We are called as a people to be set apart and an empowered people who bring peace. Prophet Isaiah writes in the 55th chapter of his book that our peace that we bring to a situation will be so overwhelming to an atmosphere that the very mountains and hills will break forth with singing and trees of the fields will clap their hands. That all of creation stands at attention to the peace of Christ. That the most hateful person in your world when met with peace will respond peacefully. Maybe not the first time, Maybe not as quick as you'd like. And certainly not if your peace is just a tactic to coerce them. People are actually really, really smart. You you know, I just want to peacefully work this out with you. Wait a minute. 
prophet knew that our peace would be transformational to our world and that all of creation would celebrate this course correction as we become a people of peace. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, may your heart be our heart and may your way become our way. Shape us into a people that reflect your peace, that mimic your goodness in a very natural way. In the words of King David, we say, God, teach us your way. Teach us your will that we would walk in your way. God, that you would continue your redemptive work of shaping us into a people who bring, a people who bring goodness, people who bring first fruits, and people who bring peace, people who are marked by that, that in the midst of any tension point or conflict, we would be a people who enter in with the goodness and peace and joy and love of Christ. You'll see around the room, our prayer team is stationed and ready to pray with you. I suspect this will have brought up areas in your own life as it has in mine of maybe areas where you need to repent of not being peaceful. Or maybe it's areas in your life where you're crying out internally right now going, oh, I want that peace. I want that peace. We're gonna sing of the goodness of God and his great love for us and how it never ends. But in these moments, accept the challenge to go to somebody and receive prayer for them. Maybe approach them with simply, I wanna feel God's peace in and fill in the blank and just allow them to pray over your life. The uh, giving station is also available in the back of the room. Pray that you would engage with that. And even if you've already done it on your phone today or you're planning to text in your gift, might I challenge you to actually go back to the station and interact with that as an act of worship, to stand over that and to pray over it, to ask God to continue to deepen your gratitude and your trust in him and to enlarge your vision for the kingdom. This is your time to respond. So to your feet, would you please stand? Let us worship and